how do independent labels make it work for decades? Putting out great music is part of it for sure, but there's more to it. Today, we take a deeper look at the Danish independent label Crunchy Frog, who are celebrating their 25th anniversary this year. Welcome to the future of what? I'm your host, Portia Sabin, president of the independent record label Kill Rock Stars. Support for the future of what comes from Merch Table. With over 15 years of experience in merchandising, screen printing, tour support, and online fulfillment, Merch Table partners with artists and labels looking to jumpstart their business. Visit merchtable.com to learn more and open a store today. On today's episode, we look at Crunchy Frog and the Danish independent music scene. It's all coming up on The Future of What. Support for the future of what comes from Sound Exchange. You're listening to the future of what. I'm talking to Jesper Reginald of Crunchy Frog. Yebo, welcome to the future of what. Thank you, Portia. So excited to talk to you. So I met you years and years ago at Medem. That was where we first crossed paths. Yeah. But Crunchy Frog, your label, has been around 25 years this year. So let's talk a little bit about how it started because I think you started the way. A lot of indie labels get started, which is you were in a band and you wanted to put out your own music, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's the story of many, an indie label. And yeah, we were a band, released a couple of demo tapes. We thought we were ready to release a CD and we only thought there was one Danish label worthy <laughs> of releasing our music, which was called Cloudland. And I was in another band that was on this fine label and we sent them where I gave them the music and they said well this is great but we're actually kind of winding down our label oh bad timing so two of these guys they also ran an indie distribution called pingo and they said well if you want to release this record on your own label we'll give you a distribution deal we'll give you lists of press people and we'll tell you what to do and how to do it but you have to do it and you have to be professional about it we don't want to work with a band that just release their own record and then don't do the work. So we had to make up this label name and we we're like thinking hard about this. And because we're all Monty Python fans, we thought, well, Crunchy Frog from the Crunchy Frog sketch by Monty Python. <laughs> it sounds pretty cool. And we kind of also nicked the motto. If we took the bones out, it wouldn't be crunchy. <laughs> and uh, then we, you know, the, the guy who made the artwork for the first album released by our own band Sao. We said you have to do a logo for the this new label. And he did the logo and we've just been stuck with that weird looking frog logo ever since. And <laughs> you just kind of grow into it, right? I mean it's a kind of a stupid name and a stupid logo, but <laughs> here we are, twenty five years later, yeah. Yeah. That's how we started doing it. You know, totally do it yourself, like so many other labels and biking out with the press copies to the journalists because we couldn't afford postage. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so Denmark. Denmark is a country of not even 6 million people, right? <laughs> it's a exactly. very yeah. small country. <laughs> I mean, I grew up in Manhattan, you know, New York City, which I think at the time was over 6 million people yeah. just on the island of Manhattan. So, you know, it's a very small country. And you said that at the time that you guys started the label, there was only one indie label that you really 
liked and, and, you know, wanted to be on. But what has the indie label and major label and just sort of music scene in Denmark in general been like for the last 25 years? I'm assuming the major labels have a presence there, correct? Oh, yes, absolutely. Back then and today, they have a totally dominating piece of the, the market. And they release basically, of course, mainstream music. There's a lot of American, British bands, of course, dominating the Danish airwaves. But actually, there is a really healthy indie label environment. I mean, most of the new Danish bands being released on indie labels. But it's always been this kind of food chain. I guess it's pretty much the same in the States. But probably even more so in Denmark, because the market is so small. So it's very hard to sustain an indie label. So even if you get a couple of cool bands and you make a name for yourself and do pretty well, it's still very hard to sustain a label through many years. And so these bands will eventually be signed by bigger labels or bigger labels will maybe buy smaller labels. I know this happens everywhere, but I think we have the disadvantage that we're such a small country and we're in Europe where maybe a lot of Americans would know this, but even though there's something called the European Union, it's actually, it's like a lot of discrete territories that don't really necessarily bleed into each other and if you're a Danish label, you're, you're a small label, then basically you have five or six million people to, <laughs> to try to, to convince to buy your, your niche records. Right. Um, so I think that's been the, the case throughout you know, the lifespan of, of our label. But we had some, well, I was fortunate that I also had a musical career, also as a songwriter. I mean, of course, everybody in the band starting the label was had a musical career, but I was also playing in other bands. I was a primary songwriter, so I could kind of get through without actually taking a real day job. Right. <laughs> so for <laughs> four or five years, it was possible for me to, to still do the label, even though the label wasn't making any money. And then slowly we got a couple of bands that did a little bit better. And then around 2000, 2002, we released a couple of bands that really did really well. And that has kind of catapulted the label into bigger numbers and some pretty good licensing deals outside of Denmark. And that was bands called Junior Senior and the Ravenettes that both had some kind of impact worldwide. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to ask you about that. And were both of those bands local Danish bands that you guys signed in sort of the normal course of things that just happened to blow up? Yeah, we had a band that we signed when some of the members were just like 15 years old. That was called Superheroes, which was a big turning point for our label because originally we only did lo-fi, noise rock, avant-garde kind of noise rock. I guess we're like exclusively doing stuff that sounded like Sonic Youth, the Pixies, Pavement, stuff like that, or more experimental with little hints of the residents and metal. You know, so it's like, this was what we were known for. And we found this band called Superheroes that did indie pop. And we kind of sat down and said, oh, could we release this band? It's so poppy. We lose all the fans of the label. But at this point, we probably there were probably like 100 fans of the label or something like that. <laughs> but we in the end, we said to each other that this band is so good. If somebody else releases it, we're going to be kind of pissed off. Mm -hmm. And that's actually been the guiding principle since then. We decided to kind of expand the genres that we kind of worked in. 
Not a whole lot, because most people would still find superheroes to be kind of quirky and not really mainstream pop at all. But but we started working with them, and through the work with this band that became quite popular in Denmark, that's how we found Junior Senior, because Junior Senior started supporting this band and had this amazing energy. And basically, we knew them for about two years until we signed them. And funny story was that they actually... When I called them and when I got the demo that had the song Move Your Feet that, that went on to become a kind of a global hit song, mm-hmm. when I heard that demo, it's like, oh man, we've been watching this band for a long time. They had the energy, the kind of kind of like frantic B-52s on steroids energy, but they never really had strong songs. But now all of a sudden it's like, oh, now they have the songs. <laughs> and I called them up and said, you guys should come in. We should talk about releasing a record. And they're like, oh, well, all right. And they came in and we did the deal. And then much later, I was actually became the drummer in the band for two years and toured a lot. And they told me that, well, when you called us at that point, we had actually been broken up for, for two weeks because nothing was happening. <laughs> wow. So that was kind of the story of, of signing Junior Senior. It wasn't like there was a big bidding war or anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They'd actually broken up. And actually, the interesting thing is about the Ravenettes is kind of similar because I played with Sune Wagner, Sune Wagner, who's the boy in this kind of boy-girl duo mm-hmm. called the Ravenettes. Yes. We played in his band called Psyched Up Janice, and I was the drummer so we knew each other well and we actually formed a band called the Tremble beer got together that's a kind of a fun band surf band instrumental band that kind of informed his ideas of, on the ravenettes because you know it's much more like retro oriented but again he wrote the songs for the ravenettes and he shopped it around and this band psychic jennings we were in were actually quite a popular band in denmark but none of the kind of established big labels wanted to touch that like noisy stuff they thought was like a bit of a disappointment that this Danish rock star would make you know such niche music but of course we were like yep well this is this is great let's release it so we kind of knew these bands through these kind of organic ways that you know bands get hip to each other you know by seeing them live or I was actually playing with Suna mm-hmm. and I guess both bands for some reason hit hit some kind of wave i mean when we released the ravenettes this was the year after the strokes oh yeah had the debut and the, the year before white stripes had the elephant record mm-hmm. so it was like something was in the air so they hit it much bigger than such a noisy lo-fi band maybe our coming out of denmark would have what happened with junior senior was of course strength of the song and certain sound also also was kind of retro infused that it's hard to explain <laughs> what makes a band reach a, a, a bigger audience especially when you don't have money to market them. But, but all this stuff happened in the span of like three four years or something like that i mean it was a huge turning point for us yeah absolutely
That was Restorer by I Am Bones. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at KRSFOW and subscribe to our newsletter to find out what's coming up next. You're listening to The Future of What? I'm talking to Jesper Reginald of Crunchy Frog. And in the years since then, I think you guys have done something that's really smart. So, you know, when I get an email from you in your signature, it says, Crunchy Frog, Crunchy Tunes, Bobcat Agency, Whammy Bar, The Mud Honey, Crane Brothers, (laughs) which is, you've diversified. Like, that is really, I think, the move that indie labels have made in recent years to stay viable and to stay making money, and especially in a country of six million people, you know, you have to do more than just the label in order to stay in the game. So you guys have apparently done a very good job of doing that as well. When we started out being a band releasing our own music, actually immediately starting publishing company because I was writing most of the songs and I was receiving most of the royalties, the songwriter royalties. Mm-hmm. So we thought it was just fair that, you know, we're spending so much time promoting the band as a label should get some of that money back into the mix. So we started doing a publishing company actually from the get-go. And when we started releasing other bands, it was kind of part of the like the standard deal, which was like a 50-50 deal. And then we had the publishing. And of course, when we started working for other bands, we also had to kind of man up and say, okay, now we have to actually do publishing. So we actually find out what the hell that is and actually then starting to contribute, you know, to that's kind of the philosophy for whatever we do. If we can, if we don't think we can make the, you know, the pie bigger by being a, a part of a band or a songwriter's career, then it just doesn't feel right because we are a band. We don't like to just like take people's publishing money or something like that. So we started actually working very early on as a publisher. Again, kind of in a backwards way, started doing sync licensing because people started reaching out to us. We just like totally reactive and didn't really know that you could make money doing that. Well, then it just so happened that a lot of the stuff that we kind of naturally liked and wanted to release had some real potential for syncs. So that's something that we started cultivating uh, earlier than Junior Senior and Ravenettes, but when Junior Senior and Ravenettes happened and we just all of a sudden had loads of licensing requests, we just kind of latched on to all those contacts, started to expand that network and and work kind of very focused on on syncs as well. So I, I think it's probably the story of many indie labels that kind of like have a combination of good taste and luck and, and then just like normal kind of like uh, rational sense of thinking hey we made some money there the kind of like that was lucky let's push our luck let's start expanding that network and then the last thing you, you mentioned was that we recently well within the last like five years been partnering up with a, another company opening some bars here in the Copenhagen area which is something uh, that's just like it started as a fun thing to do, but actually it's a pretty good business. We have a great network of fans of the bands and of the label that we're easy for us to communicate. There's a new cool bar in town and has the flavor and aesthetic of uh, what we're doing in the music business. And, and it's been quite successful. That's fantastic. Diversification out of just like having some fun, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So how many people work at Crunchy now? So we are eight people at the label and 
usually there'll be one or two interns oh, yeah. going at it as well. But I mean, with if we talked about uh, the bar business, there would be a whole lot more people. But this is like the core right. uh, staff, all people that that are extremely autonomous and great at what they do, and very blessed to work with a, a team where everybody is basically in their special field, much better at doing what they do than I am. So you can throw them a ball and they run with it. You know, if that's the correct metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so you guys are doing great. 25 years in, do you see this as 25 more years? I mean, how do you feel about the changes in the music business and the move to streaming, you know? And I mean, I know there's still a market for physical and you guys still make physical product and you do merch and all sorts of stuff. But, you know, what's your philosophy at this moment about the future of your label and this industry? Scandinavia, as you know, is has been kind of at the forefront of the digital revolution. I mean, I think the the crisis of the record industry hit us very hard and very early, probably because of the, the penetration of broadband access mm-hmm. is very high here compared to, for instance, just Germany, which is bordering to, to Denmark, where you can still sell CDs. Mm, right. I mean, it, it, very early on, especially in the, in the Scandinavian countries, piracy was was a huge problem because it was actually quite easy and fast to just go on all the file sharing services and stuff like that. But since uh, streaming and, and downloads and stuff became uh, kind of the new business model, it has also been uh, that, that part of the world where it's quickly become viable business. And, and for us, it's kind of a cool thing that you can budget with a kind of some kind of steady income, of course, we're lucky that we have like a long history now, and we have a, a catalog. So I mean, it's probably harder for a new label that starts up because it takes a long time for the money to recoup or the you know the expenses. But I mean, for us, it's kind of a cool thing, and we also see that a lot of smaller bands and the real niche stuff is actually making money again. So we couldn't get into record stores for the previous 15 years is actually making a little bit of money, which is mm. nice to see because we wish that all the records are released are successful. Mm-hmm. Right. For us, I mean, Scandinavian context, I, I'm not really fearing so much for the future. And I think for uh, just for our label, we still feel it's the next record is always, you know, the best record we ever did. And uh, <laughs> we're always excited. Yep that excitement is, is still there and it's uh, it's kind of a luxurious thing after 25 years. That's fantastic. Well, Jesper Reginald, thank you so much for being with me today on The Future of What? My pleasure. Absolutely. I'm so damn sick and tired Yes, I'm sick and tired Being sick and tired Of trying to get to you Something's gotta give This ain't no way to live Do I have to spell it out for you? Baby, baby girl How did it get to this? Tell me what's your point 
feeling so undecided. I want love as a day-to-day fixture. Must I paint you a picture? Tell me what's your point of view? What does love mean to you? Tell me what you're gonna do. Oh, baby, baby, what's a man? That was What's a Man Got to Do by Detroit. You're listening to The Future of What. After the show, take a moment to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. It helps people find the show, and we love hearing from you. When Kill Rockstars was looking for someone to take over our fulfillment operation, Merch Table stepped up to do the heavy lifting, moving our entire stock to their warehouse and helping us create merch our fans love. With Merch Table's support, we've been able to focus on the music and artists that matter to us. KRS loves Merch Table. See what they can do for your business at merchtable.com. You're listening to The Future of What. I'm talking to Johannes Gammelby. Johannes, welcome to The Future of What. Thank you. You've been in multiple bands, and right now, how many of your bands are on the label Crunchy Frog? Three. I believe uh, <laughs> two are uh, active and one is uh, kind of dormant, but you never know what could happen to the third one, so... <laughs> It's kind of like three right now, I believe, yeah. Could come back to life, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. So yeah, tell me a little bit. I mean, I'm not super conversant with the rock scene in Denmark, but it really seems like Crunchy Frog has been, you know, we're talking about the fact that this is their 25th anniversary. So they've been doing kind of an amazing job documenting the scene for a long time. Yeah, that was kind of our uh, impetus to hook up with them in the first place. Back in the day, I think it was like 2007. I was with the dormant band, uh, a band called Beta Satan. It's <laughs> a rather rough pop ensemble with punk, electro, heavy metal tendencies. The weird uh, outfit, but nonetheless, uh, they decided to give us an offer. And, and their history with rock music, of course, in Denmark anyway, because it's such a small country, we, of course, everybody knew about them and knows about them, but we found them uh, a decent match back in the day. And when my own band started up and looked for labels, it just 
seemed like an obvious choice to me to hook up with them. Unfortunately, they thought the same thing. So uh, their history, uh, it goes way back to the mid-90s or something like that, where they uh, released a couple of albums that I really liked when I was a kid. And so it became a natural thing to look towards that direction as a, as a lighthouse to what to do when you were a certified adult with rock music in your blood. And, and of course, there were awesome times for us back in the day to, to sign with them. So we, we were very pleased with that. Can you tell us what the indie label scene is like in Denmark? I'm not familiar. Or what's the the sort of label scene in Denmark like in general? Is it pretty much dominated by the majors or what's the landscape? There are a couple of very decent indie labels that are totally independent from the major label scene, Crunchy being one of them, and then there are Esho and Tambo Rhinoceros and a couple of others that are releasing very decent music. And in my book, anyway, it's totally, you know, split between indie, curious, more or less avant-garde stuff. And then that's, of course, the indie scene. Then the super mainstream, like this, it's very R&B oriented right now. And it's like everything's totally, I don't know, like the Republicans and the Democrats, right? <laughs> Where you have like these totally opposite worlds coexisting. And, and I feel like the indie scene would probably represent, well, I don't know, the Democrats <laughs> and the major label, the, the Republicans in any way. Right. Kind of. More conservative. Our, yeah. Does everyone in Denmark sing in English? Is that sort of the predominant way it's done? Or does anyone sing in Danish? Well. In recent years, things are changing because of, I don't know what, but I think it's the marketability thing that people are beginning to sing in Danish, weirdly enough, because Danish is a very small language, as I'm sure you know. And of course, everybody in Denmark speaks English. And, and we have Germany as a market very close to us and, and England and Sweden and stuff like that. So English is a very lingua franca for a lot of Danish people. And, and for the entire European Union region. So it's very natural for a lot of European bands to just switch to English in order to cover the entire board, you think? You know what I mean? Danish is kind of becoming, I don't know if it's kind of like grown out of this. I think you have the same tendencies in America, I don't know. But you have like this focus on identity going on in everything that's going on, either self-representation or national representation or anything like that. So I, I think I think it's becoming kind of like an, a marker for identity to, to sing in Danish. But in that that being said, nobody understands a word of Danish. So it's very very <laughs> echo chamber <laughs> thing. I, I mean it's like these fluctuations. It, it comes and goes and, and with the eras that if you sing in Danish you you kind of like true and authentic. And if you sing in English you're like super fake and you like to sell out and whatever. I don't know. It just, it, it goes back and forth through the ages, I feel. Yeah, I can understand that. I, yeah. you know, that sounds like, you know, it's punk and authentic to sing in Danish right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. That, that's kind of my feel anyway, but I'm, I'm that, that's my perspective too. Yeah. So, you know, this is a podcast about the music business primarily. And, yeah. and we talk all the time about how difficult it is nowadays. Yeah in the era of streaming for musicians to make money. Yeah. So what's it like in Denmark? I mean, what are the opportunities for bands at this point? Can people make a living just touring in Denmark? No, people cannot. 
unless you're on a major <laughs> label and you are a super top uh, echelon pop star in Denmark. Of course, you can make a living that way as an indie person just, you know, writing songs in a basement and uh, touring a couple of cities in Denmark. No, that's no way to make a living. And, and, and a lot of people in my circle of friends anyway have jobs and, you know, things that they do besides music. And, and in my experience, when I look at my own history from my youth, where I used to invest all of my time in touring and writing and recording and promoting the crap that I did, it felt like futile investment. Nothing came back until the very point that I decided, okay, screw this ecosystem of no monetary feedback. I'm kind of just doing what I want to do. And then getting a job, you know, doing the thing, uh, you know, that you have to do. And then all of a sudden, because I kind of swore off the hunt for, you know, financing my myself through my music, my music got successful, well, relatively successful, <laughs> because people, wow. because it, you, you liberated yourself from the identity of having to chase the, the dollar when you are touring. Now you can do whatever you want and people buy into that kind of music to a greater extent, I feel. And, and, and Crunchy, if you bring it back to that, have been very good at moving away from record sales and general promo stuff and then basing a, a large bit of their business on publishing deals with like movies and commercials and stuff like that. So in that way second to last album that we did uh, got financed all the way i mean everything got financed just by a couple of you know placements of one of our songs from that album oh wow so things are in that respect easier because we have decided well at least i have to not necessarily chase it you know what i mean sure absolutely does that make sense yeah yeah it's just okay the irony <laughs> <laughs> decide not to chase it. Yeah, it, it's oh. a weird irony. It's, 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 actually, it's kind of, I don't know, what's it called, a soap? What, like the bubbles that you make with the, with the soap and the water, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Bubbles. Uh, what, yeah. what is it called? The bubbles, just bubbles, okay. So it's like it's the, the very minute that you touch the bubble, it disappears. You just have to, instead, you don't have to touch the bubble. You just have to look at it and, 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 and admire it. <laughs> you, don't, you, you cannot chase the thing because then you won't get what you want. Right. That's my philosophy in this respect anyway. Yeah, I like it. That's, that's good. So now you've been on some other labels besides Crunchy. Yeah. In your career. That's true. So how do you feel that they differ and you know, what do they do right, would you say? The most predominant other label that I was on was a label called Morningside Records, which also had the sticker rings. Do you remember them? Do you know them? I don't know. They were big in America at some point. I don't know. Well, the tour was big. Well, anyway, <laughs> they, the, the label was a super indie label with no contracts and just, you know, letting it grow of the word of mouth. And, and, and a lot of good things came through that. And as my personal music aspirations drew, I kind of needed more uh, fixed agreements and, 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 and some, some more people working on the, the crack that I did to disrespect the Morningside records. And anyway, they, they, well, they, Morningside kind of evaporated 
And that kind of suited me okay, because I needed something somewhere else to go with my music, because it's a step up to go to Crunchy Frog in from the smaller Morningside label to Crunchy Frog, because they had this kind of apparatus with the publishing things and experience and the know-how and a lot of stuff that I didn't know anything about and that uh, Jesper from Morningside only had just learned. So instead of continuing this uh, grassroot thing, it was nice to latch on to something that was a bit more uh, uh, careful with my words here. Well, just maybe a little more mature, a little more developed. They had more people. Yeah, developed, that's the word. A neutral uh, word, yes, developed. (laughs) They were more developed, yeah. Excellent. You know, that's something that people sometimes don't really understand is that labels really are helpful to artists in more than just one way. It's not just putting your record out. It's also promoting it and, you know, and having the expertise and the knowledge and the understanding of, of what to do next to help you really build a career. Exactly. Especially with the Crunchy Frog. And I mean, I'm sure that the Morningside Record would have been able to to supply me with that experience. But however, when when we signed up with Crunchy Frog, Yibo Jesper, that you've talked to, uh, he, he has been very, very invested in everything that's been going on, which is a big thing for me because I'm writing a lot of stuff on my own and recording a lot of stuff on my own. And I always uh, look for somebody to give me some qualified feedback. And he's always there to change not I'm, I'm you have like this idea of the label boss as being like oh you have to change the song to be more uh, you know appropriate for radio or something like that which is totally the opposite of what Yebo usually does which is we need to make this more noisy we need to <laughs> sorry my french but things up and we need to you know get super aggressive in this part and blah 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 and i'm like yeah man that's cool so sometimes he he helps a lot with even not necessarily songwriting, but arrangements and sequencing on the albums and mastering. He has a lot of feedback on mixing as well. And if we need a little bit of a layer, in it. Uh, the last album I did with him on the sideline, he was basically almost considered a part of the band because he had a lot of input. And I'm sure that uh, that could be a negative thing, but Jesper always makes sure that you can take or leave his suggestions. He always leaves it up to me or the other artists. I'm sure that they have the same uh, setup with him to just, you know, take it or leave it, his suggestions. And usually they are very, you know, educated guesses as to what is the song needs, right? Right. You know, it, it's very funny. Indie labels do it all different ways. And some people are very hands-off and some people are very hands-on. But I do think that that's something that's cool when when an artist gets the opportunity to get into the studio with someone who's put out hundreds of records, you know, not just their own, yeah, exactly. but other people's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, you have the benefit of that experience. Totally. Exactly. That's very cool. Sometimes he has uh, suggestions that you don't necessarily agree with, and you can just like say, okay, I don't agree with that, and let's just move on. And there are not hard feelings, and he doesn't invest the, the ego <laughs> in that way. So, no hard feelings post negative feedback. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So just because I'm interested, tell us what's going on in Denmark right now in the world of rock music that's sort of like the hot thing. Like over here in America, it's all like female singer-songwriters and indie pop. Yeah. So what's going on over there? Oh my God, I don't really know. (laughs) 
I'm sort of like a hermit person, pissed off punk rocker in a cellar in the outskirts of Denmark. But um, <laughs> I mean, what's going on? Let's see. For my personal tastes, I feel like there are a couple of bands uh, moving with heavy, really, really sludge, heavy, but also decent songwriting mm. uh, not just the sound but also the songwriting i think usually with that sort of match it's more sound than songwriting and things are moving in a good direction for that i think and there's a lot of really weird punk rock based on the birthday party mm. you know vein from the birthday party vein yeah, you know what i mean sure like you know you know ice age probably right mm-hmm. yeah yeah. And there are a couple of spin-off things from that that are also boiling in the underground. Interesting. But right now, right now, and yeah, it's, it's like because a lot of radio in Denmark, as we just talked about earlier, you have like this super conservative or super mainstream thing, and then you have the totally opposite. And in my view, the opposite thing that what's going on there, as per what you were asking, is dissolution of like rhythmic patterns and. It, Freedom is like free jazz, punk rock blended in with some pop music and, and pop qualities of some kind. I, I can't say that I thoroughly enjoy it, but I, I'm an old fart. <laughs> but I, I really respect the, you know, the scope of things going on because there's a lot of things going on that I don't understand, and that's usually a good thing because I'm somewhat of an idiot. But. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of energy and a lot of pissed off people doing a lot of weird things. And and there are a lot of bands coming from that. And I, my friend and I was just talking about the other day, a Danish band called Collider. Do you know them? Uh-uh. Check them out if, you, if you're okay. bored at some point. Yeah. I, I can't say that I like it, but I like the idea, as I did with the Ice Age, because I think this is too shambolic for me, mm-hmm. because I'm a fascist in some respect, musically. But I, I kind of like that idea of just totally saying F you to the, you know, metric uh, system of uh, music. That's really nice. So, uh, yeah. Cool. I love it. Well, Johannes Gamelby, thank you so much for joining me today on The Future of What? Bless you and thank you for taking the time uh, out of your life to talk to me.
That was Get Daddy on the Phone by The Malpractice. Also check out our short podcast series about Bratmobile's potty mouth. It's called Girl Germs, and you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. And that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. You heard I Am Bones, Detroit, The Malpractice, and of course, our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by The Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. For more info on our shows, check out our website at killrockstars.com slash the future of what and sign up for our newsletter. Our program was engineered by Brent Asbury at Beta Petrol and is produced by Will Watts. I'm Portia Saban, president of Kill Rock Stars. See you next week. <laughs>